What do you think? Is he worth praising? I don't know how convincing that was. You know, um, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, your spirit would fill our hearts this morning. I pray that you would help us to see you for who you are. Help us to get rid of things that that we brought in this room, that that we're thinking about, that we're worried about, that we're anxious over, that, that the enemy would like to distract us with this morning. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to practice your presence every day. Help us to recognize that that is something that we can do no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we will do this week. May we be mindful and conscious of you every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple weeks ago, we started a series. Uh, We started this series. We saw Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman at a well. Um, It's found in John chapter 4, and we're going to go there in a little bit, so you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. That would be great. Uh, It's the fourth gospel. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's the the New Testament is the last third of your Bible. Um, You find Matthew, then you find Mark, you'll find Luke, then you'll find John. John chapter 4, and and he was sharing with this woman... uh, that first of all, he asked her for a drink of water and she's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're, you're a man, you're a Jewish man and you're talking to me, a woman at this well. This just doesn't feel right. And, and Jesus is like, well, actually, if you had asked me for water, I would have given you living water, a, a water that would have caused you never to ever thirst again. And um, a, a water that would fill her dry soul, a water that would quench the dryness of her life forever, a water that, that I want. And that, that, that if you truly knew what it was, you would want it too. Because our lives can get really dry. And, and that water comes to us through a relationship with the Messiah, a joy, a peace, and an intimate relationship with God. Now, from the moment that we surrender our life to him throughout our life here until we take our last breath, and then it is going on and on and on for all of eternity, eternal life. Uh, what an amazing experience that will be. And, and, and I want to add that that is true for each one of us, just as it was for the woman at the well. He is our living water. Verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, The woman said, I know, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. She said, I, I know he's coming. And when he comes... He will explain everything to us. And then in verse 26, Jesus declares, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, the one who has always been, who created everything and who knew each one of us before he even started creating things. Before there was anything, he knew you. He knew you were going to be here. He knew what was going to be on your mind. He knew what was going to be happening in your life. In fact, he may have even made some of those things happen because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. He is our Lord, our King, our Creator, our Savior, our Sovereign God, all-powerful, help in times of trouble, worthy to be praised, worthy to be worshipped. Oh, oh, so worthy. And I could go on and on and on. And it doesn't matter if this is your first time in a church 
or, or maybe you have just recently surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or you've been a follower of Jesus for 70 plus or more years. Worship is something that we can all learn more about and something that we can all practice every day, every moment of every day. We're going to talk about that today. Worship is a part of training our soul to be in the presence of God. So we're going to look at uh, the who today. We're going to look at the who, what, why, where, and how of worship. And not in that order because number one is the what and where. The what and where and that is worship. Now sometimes when you attach a definition onto something it can it can restrict it to that thing. And so I hesitate a bit in giving a, a description or a definition of worship, but I came across one by Warren Wiersbe in his book, Real Worship, a long, long time ago when I was in seminary. And even he said, I don't, for a whole chapter, he says, I don't like to give definitions. And then at the end of the chapter, he gives a definition. But it's a good one. Uh, it will be up here. He says this, worship is the believers, those who are followers of Christ's response of all that they are, that's us, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. It's, it's our response to who God is. He goes on to say this response has its mystical side in subjective experience, which includes but is not limited to the spirit, and its practical side in objective obedience to God's revealed will, which includes but also is not limited to truth. There is a subjective side, an emotional side, and a very uh, objective side or truth component. Worshiping, worship is a loving response that is balanced by the fear of the Lord and it is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. I don't know why, but there is just something about the stars. When I look at the stars and I think about how big the universe is, and how far away some of those are. This morning when I came up to the church, I, of course, looked to the east, and there's Venus, which Jerry informed me it was Venus, that bright one in the early morning sky before the sun comes up. And, and I've been looking for Orion's belt for a month, and, and I've been looking at night, and it's never there at night. It's only visible when the stars come around from the other side of the planet. Well, okay, the stars aren't moving. It's our planet that's moving, right? But Orion's belt was up there, and I, I remembered uh, a, a month ago when we were talking about the stars and, and that big star Betelgeuse and how big it is, and, and it is the second brightest star in Orion's belt, and I'm just thinking of how big our God is. Because he spoke that stuff into existence and and worship is just it's it's my response to that is just god you are so great and i am so small and and thank you thank you for loving me and the idea of worshiping the lord as the the sermon title says in spirit and truth comes from jesus very own words in those converse, in that conversation that he had with the samaritan woman at the well after Jesus tells the woman details about her life, um, she is surprised that he knows, of course, 
uh, before he reveals that he is the Messiah and before she goes back and tells the whole town and they all come out and, and we see from the scripture that, they, that many or most or all believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, she tries to turn the conversation around to geography. Uh, I would assume that her heart rate went up when Jesus said, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five and, and the, the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. I can imagine her heart rate went up, her face become flushed, and she's looking for whatever conversation changer she can come up with. And, and what she does is she tries to divert his attention from her personal life to a matter of religion or a matter of geography. So look at verse 20 in John chapter 4. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's saying in this conversation that, that the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem while the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. And, and this change in the subject was to try and distract him a bit. And it didn't distract Jesus at all. He refused to be distracted. In fact, in verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. One of the overall lessons about worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth is that the worship of God is not to be confined to some sort of geographical place, some location, or, or some regulated by the, the temporary provisions of the Old Testament law. With the coming of Jesus, the separation of the Jews and the Gentiles was over. It ended. The salvation was uh, available to all. We, as Gentiles, have been grafted in. We've been adopted into the family of God. Think about that. As a sinful human being who doesn't deserve anything but death and hell, we have been loved by our creator to the point where he surrendered his life to death on a cross and, and poured out his blood. What is your response to that? What goes through your mind? What happens in your heart when you think about that? With, with the coming of Christ, all of God's children have gained access to God through him. Our skin color, our country of origin, our family prominence doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, and worship is not limited, limited to a temple or a church building of some kind. It can happen anywhere, at any time. It can happen in the driver's seat of a bus or car or truck. It can happen in the bleachers at a football game or a volleyball game or a tennis match. It can happen in a park, in a field, in an office building, in our homes. And yes, it can even happen here 
in a church. True worshipers will worship the Father, Jesus says, in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Worship also is not limited to music. You know, when, when Bob says let's worship, he isn't implying that this is the only way to worship. He's implying that this is one way that we can worship. It's a form, just a form. And even then, just because we sing a tune and we say some words doesn't mean that we're actually worshiping. You can go through the motions of honoring God no matter what kind of music is playing. In fact, I think the greatest challenge for each one of us is to truly and authentically worship when our favorite song is being played. Because when it, our favorite song is being played, it becomes more about the song than it does about who we're singing to and the words that we're saying. Worship is more a matter of the heart instead of external actions and it is directed by truth rather than ceremony. And, and of course, external actions and ceremony can be, can be a part of it, but of course, never, ever, ever our main focus. Our main focus must be God. It must be him. And this is how even just studying this and getting ready to preach this this morning, I'm singing these songs this morning and I'm thinking about the words and I'm thinking about where, where you find in scripture the foundation for the words that we're singing. Because that's the truth. God's word is the truth. And, and most songs, if they're worth their muster, are based on the truth of scripture and how we can respond to God and who God is. Now, the Apostle Paul described true worship perfectly in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm, uh, I did not put these up either. If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. That's just two, chap two, two books after the book of John. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I believe that's one of the memory I gave you, two Passages, short verses to memorize this week, Romans 12, either one and two or one or two. I don't remember what I put in there. This is what Paul says. I urge you, therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable or well-pleasing and perfect. This passage uh, includes all of the elements of true worship. Spirit and truth are found, which we've already covered. Next is number two in your notes. That's the why. Our, what is our motivation to worship? And Paul says, initially right there, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. God's mercies are everything that he has given us that we don't deserve. Eternal love. Eternal grace. The Holy Spirit. Everlasting peace. Eternal joy. Saving faith. Comfort. Strength. 
wisdom, hope, patience. Kindness, honor, glory, righteousness, security, eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification. Freedom, intercession, and I could again go on. The unsearchable riches of Christ, the word of God says. The knowledge and understanding of these incredible gifts motivates us to pour forth praise and thanksgiving. Our response of all that we are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. That's worship. That's worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Moses sets down for the Israelites how they are to love their God. Love the Lord your God, Lord there is Yahweh, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Our worship of God is directed by our love for him. And as we love, we worship. We tend to worship the things we love, right? You ever heard or uttered the phrase, he worships the ground that she walks on? Right? When we get fixated on something or someone, we can let our faithfulness, our focus, go to that one thing. And, and Moses says, it's the Lord that we should focus on heart, mind, soul, and strength. Actually, Jesus is the one who adds mind. Because the idea of might in Hebrew indicates totality. Jesus expanded this expression that Moses used to mind and strength. To worship God in spirit and truth necessarily involves loving him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. Because of who God is. True worship must be in spirit, that is, engaging the whole heart. Unless there's a real passion for God, there is no worshiping in spirit. And the foundation for the spirit is truth. Worship that is in truth is properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. Both are necessary for God honoring worship. Spirit without truth leads to a, shout, to a shallow, overly emotional response or experience that could, could, could be compared to a drug-induced high. You just get wrapped up in all of the emotions. You know, it's, it's one of the things that people like to criticize modern contemporary worship music for. It's like, is the spirit of God even there? Why? And, and that's why I say that we need to be careful and concentrate when we are worshiping that our hearts and minds are not on the music itself, but on God. And those who would like to say... Well, hymns is what we should be singing because, because those, those tell the truth about God and, and, and you know we can be just as emotional and about a hymn and just as less worshipful about a hymn as we can 
any other song. It's not, it's not the music. It can't be about the music. It's got to be about God. And that's a challenge for each and every one of us every day because just like you, I can just go through the motions. I can not think about it. I can do it. And I can call it worship, but it really isn't. And that's challenging to me because on the emotional side, as soon as the emotion is over, when the feeling cools, the worship ends. Likewise, truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. And the best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God that's been informed by Scripture. So Jesus, he left heaven for you. He left heaven and paid for our sin as a perfect sacrifice. He surrendered himself to a cross that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before, even before that kind of torture and death existed. The Bible tells us that that's what's going to happen, and it did. And three days later, Jesus conquered sin and death. He rose again. He is alive today, and he did that for you, and he did that for me. That is historical truth. That happened. If there had been cell phones in Jesus' day, we would have video evidence today that Jesus did just that. And that Jesus was alive because there were hundreds of eyewitnesses that showed that he was still alive. And that, that death, that resurrection was the greatest act of love that has ever transpired on planet Earth. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate him. The more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. And the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified, having a right posture in our relationship with him. This blending of spirit and truth in worship is summed up well by Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century American pastor and theologian, and this is what he said. I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections and emotions of my hearers as high as possibly I can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth. It's the truth. Edwards recognized that truth and only truth can properly influence our emotions in a way that brings honor to God. The, the truth of God being of infinite value is worthy of infinite passion and our worship. Our Lord is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. What and where and why, and we are, of course, just brushing the surface, but next, number three, we have the how, the manner of our worship. What should worship look like? What should that response to God look like? Paul says that we are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Presenting, what does that mean? 
What does that mean for you, a teacher, a doctor, a, a, an insurance guy, a, a, a mother, a high school student, a college student, a college student at EWC, a college student at Frontier? What does that look like for each and every one of us? Well, the reference to our bodies here means all of our faculties, all of our humanness, our hearts, our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our attitudes, all of that, our whole being is to be presented to God. In other words, we are to give up control of these things and turn it over to him. Just as we would with a literal sacrifice, taking that animal and laying them on an altar taking the life out of them, that's, we are to lay ourselves down in that way. But how? How do we do that? Again, the passage is clear. First of all, by the renewing of your mind. And when we, when we renew our minds daily by cleansing them of the world's wisdom and replacing it with true wisdom that comes from God. And, and we live in a day today where, where listening to the world's wisdom is so easy. I mean, first of all, the enemy says that this is, this is how it should be, and we think that, and then we go to Facebook or the internet, and we, we search it. And, and then, if it's not the top one, we'll go to the second one or the third one or the fourth one where we see a title that, that supports what we're thinking and we'll read that and we'll say, see, it is true. I am believing what's right. And what, what we should really do is we should really go here first. Because God has given us everything that we need. And, and I, you know, it, it can be hard to look at something that supports your point of view and not share it. Because you're like, you know, some snarky remark about electric vehicles, for instance. Now, I know there's lots of opinions out there about electric vehicles. Now, I'm not going to run out and buy one today, but I hope that maybe in 15 or 20 years, they have advanced the technology to a point where they really are a good thing in Wyoming when it's cold in the winter. But not right now. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to be against them. It just means that I'm not for them today. I want the technology. I want to see it happen. I would love to see power generated in our world somehow where there, was, there were no negative consequences. There was no pollution. There was no, you know, big bladed things killing our birds. There was no, I mean, whatever. But we often jump to a conclusion without really having all of the facts. And, and I think that's something that we, that's wisdom that we need, we need to hold this number one in our life. And, and, and this is where our wisdom should come from. Because where the mind goes, the will follows, and so do the emotions. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us that we have the mind 
of Christ, not the emotions of Christ, the mind of Christ. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. There's only one way to renew our minds, and that is by the word of God. It is the truth, the knowledge of the word of God, which is to say the knowledge of the mercies of God. And we're back where we began, to know the truth, to believe the truth, to hold convictions about the truth, and to love the truth will naturally result in spiritual worship. It is conviction followed by affection, affection that is a response to truth, not some external stimuli like music. Music is not the origin of worship, but it can express it. Because, I mean, we find music all over in Scripture. We find drums in Scripture. We find dancing in Scripture. You see, it's not the, it's not the act, it's, it's what's happening inside when you perform the act. So we need to not look to music to induce our worship. We need to look to music as simply an expression of that which is already being induced in our hearts. Because our hearts have been captivated by the mercies of God. And our wills moved to obedience to his commands. True worship is God-centered worship. People tend to get caught up in where, and, and, and people can tend to get caught up in where they should worship. What music should we sing in worship? And how, how does my worship look to other people? Have you ever been in church and you just felt like God wanted you to fall on your knees, but you didn't because you thought, well, what are other people going to think? They're going to think I somehow think I'm better than them or that. No. Well, okay, they may think that. But it's incorrect if you're not worshiping in that way as a show for everybody else, but it's because your heart is there in that place. Because we, we worry a lot about how we look to other people and what they may think. And, you know, you may in this church, it maybe, you know, you're like, you know, when you're singing a song or you're, you're watching a video, you're, you know, you're, you're, like, you're like this. Because you don't want other people to see that you're raising your hands to the Lord. Or we sing a song that says, I bow down. And... And, you're, and I'm still standing. I, when we sang that song this morning, I, I'm like, I'm singing a song about bowing down, and I'm not. Oh, but I am in my heart. Okay, maybe. But there is something that happens when our heart leads us to action. I'm not saying make it up. I'm just saying we, we need to listen to God, and we need to be centered on him and try and not worry about what other people think or say or whatever. True worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. That means we worship from the heart and the way God has designed us. 
Now, worship can include praying. It can, can include reading the word of God with an open heart. It can include singing. It can include participation in communion. It, can, and it includes serving others. It is not limited to one act, but is done properly when the heart and attitude of the person are in the right place. So when you pray, praise God for all that you know him to be. Repent of those things that you incorrectly blamed him for or didn't know before. Ask him to help you to know more truth about him so that you may understand his mercies and then yield to him in spirit and in truth. And that truth, of course, is found as you study your Bible by yourself with other people at a Bible study on a Sunday morning. Us going through scripture and understanding it is a part of our worship. It's, it's a way that God uses to renew our minds. And Paul just told us that that's part of worship. As we sing songs here on a Sunday morning or in the car or on your way home to, to or home from work, focus on who God is, not the melody of the song or the music or how it's your favorite Let's make Jesus the center of our worship, of all that we do. Let's make Jesus our favorite instead of the song. And then finally, let's worship God by serving others. When, when we give up our time and our energy for others, no matter who they are, in the name of Jesus, that, Paul says, is part of our spiritual worship. When, when we treat others the way that Jesus treats us, that's to his glory, which is worship. We, when we give of our tithes and our offerings, no matter how, no matter how much, after church on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday afternoon online through the website, take a moment and worship God. Respond to him with all that you are, your heart, mind, soul, and strength because of how he has provided for you the bread that you eat this week. That's, that's something that, that we have kind of, we don't, and there's multiple reasons for it, but when you leave here and you drop your check in the offering plate, if we took up the offering on a Sunday morning and we passed the plate, you know, you might give out of guilt. You might give because the person sitting next to you put something in the plate and you think you should. We don't have to worry about that. But what we have removed by not doing that is an opportunity to think about and praise God and worship him as we put that in the offering plate. And I would just encourage you, whether you're putting it in out there, whether you're getting it out of your pocket when you get up at the end of a service, take a moment and worship God. Thank him for the blessings that he's given you. When you're about to click send online to give, take a moment, take 15 moments and praise him and repent and ask and yield right there in that moment. Worship him before you give because giving is part of our worship. What, where, why, how, that leaves the who. And of course, that has been the center of all the other descriptions and should go without saying. 
There's two who's here. There's you who. Or Cindy Lou who. But the other who that I want to talk about is God, because our worship should be only reserved for him and him only. Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one Lord. And our enemy is nefarious in his ability to lead us astray. So, so this is a loving reminder for all of us to keep all of our little G gods in perspective. Because there are plenty of them out there. Some of you are thinking, well, the bills just started playing. And I'm missing it. I wasn't thinking that. Not until. But see, that's how nefarious it can be. Because it's a distraction from, from why I'm here, why you're here. And, and, and we need to get to the place where we, you know, wait till after church to see that Josh Allen has thrown three interceptions and fumbled the ball already. Sports. Sports, money, power, authority, prosperity. I mean, I think we all have a pretty good idea, maybe, of, of what the little G gods are in our life that we tend to capitalize and put over and above our one God who we should be worshiping. So many things in our culture, ideologies, politics. I mean, the, the list of things that we can worship instead of God. And the enemy wants us to put them priority in our lives instead of the most important relationship, and that is our relationship with the living God. But we can fight against those temptations with truth. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Only, only he is worthy. His creation points us to himself. We are not to worship creation. We are not to even worship any of his servants, angels or otherwise. Revelation 19 Verse 10 points this out. John falls at the feet of an angel. And the angel says, at, John says, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. Get up. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. We are not to worship saints Prophets, statues, angels, any false gods, or Mary the mother of Jesus. We also should not be worshiping for the expectation of something in return. Such as a miraculous healing. Worship is done for God because he deserves it. And he alone. Period. It is for his pleasure alone. We can worship anywhere, anytime. We can praise God alone or in a congregational setting like this, where as believers we respond with all that we are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God says, who he is, and what he does. 
Psalm 22, 22 says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. That's what we do here together. Uh, Psalm 35, 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly among the throngs. I will praise you. True worship is felt inwardly and then expressed throughout our actions. Worshiping out of obligation is displeasing to God and is completely in vain. Completely. He can see through all the hypocrisy and he hates it. He demonstrates this in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals, which he told them to do. Your assemblies are a stench to me, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, which he asked them to do, I will not accept them. Why? He says, though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. True worship is not confined to what we do in church or open praise, although those things are both good and we are told in the Bible to do them. True worship is the acknowledgement of God and all his power and glory in everything we do. There's another passage in Isaiah where rough, um, uh, my words, God says, I am choking on your goats. It's not about the goats. It's not about the action of sacrifice. It's your heart that I want. And let's remember that. As, as we live our lives this week, as we, as we go to work, as we play, as we, as we wrestle through things, as we look up at the stars, the highest form of praise and worship is obedience to him and his word. And to do that, we must know God. Worship team, come up here. I'm going to read one more verse. And this is an interesting one. Acts 17.23. Uh, Paul is walking around a Greek city, and this is what he says. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul is like, that monument that you have to an unknown God? Let me tell you who he is. So that when you worship, you can worship in truth. You can worship knowing who he is. Worship is to glorify and exalt God, to show our loyalty and admiration to our Father, and that is something that we can practice. That is something that we can do every day, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we can always just pause and say, God, thank you for this breath I'm breathing. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the stars. Let's be careful not to just roll through our day, appointment to appointment, work to work, and not take the time to worship. And with that, we're gonna close with this song that's about not using music to worship.